0: We're going to begin a series on faith uh, this week. We're going to take it all the way up to the start of our Christmas series. And we're going to talk about how faith has greater application than just going to heaven. What it means to apply it in your life here. So turn with me over to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Hebrews 11. We're going to look today at Moses and how the writer of Hebrews characterizes Moses' life. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. And before we get into this, I want to introduce to you one person. Sean Perkins. Many of you know him, been a part of our church for over a decade. He is now one of our associate pastors. Glad to have him. He's been doing it for a long time anyway. We just thought we'd hire him. (laughs) Hebrews 11, verse 24. I'm going to read all the way through verse 29. It says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, "'refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, "'choosing rather to endure the ill treatment "'with the people of God "'than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin.'" Verse 26, "'Considering the reproach of Christ "'of greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, "'for he was looking to the reward. "'By faith he left Egypt, "'not fearing the wrath of the king, "'for he endured as seeing him who was unseen. "'By faith he kept the Passover "'and the sprinkling of blood.' so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. And by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as though they were going through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. Lord, help us as we study. The writer of Hebrews does what he can to try to emphasize what faith looks like. And he highlights different people in the Old Testament who were icons of faith. Now, Moses gets special pub. He was an amazing guy. Anytime you do things that are first in Scripture, you're pretty unusual. You're pretty astounding. There's no question that God gets all the glory, but you have to say, wow, about the human being. Just amazing. Remember, to this point, although we have contextualized God as doing miracles on the planet, there were no seen miracles. The miracles that had occurred up to this point were women who could not bear children did. Now, that's not an insignificant miracle. There are no such things. In fact, the whole term, insignificant miracle, is oxymoronic. makes no sense. A miracle is a miracle. But it's one of those that you don't see. You just see a baby, and a woman giving birth to a baby seems to be fairly normal. This dispensation with Moses, water turned to blood. Sun grew dark for three days. Stuff happened where snakes, that used to be staffs, became snakes and then swallowed other snakes. (sighs) And on top of that, Moses had the responsibility to form a people, to create a nation. At that point, they were just a very large family. To create a nation, order it, produce some kind of of system whereby people understood the hierarchies and how they needed to report to whom when something went wrong. And and this on the run. I mean, they were not not a, 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 a grounded people in terms of territory. The promised land was not yet theirs, and so they were nomadic. They were moving all over the place. Moses is an amazing man. And the writer of Hebrews, without going into his entire life, tries to contextualize his life within the bounds of faith. And he says, by faith, he did four things. One, he refused. Two, he left. Three, he kept. And four, he became they. Number one, he refused. There's some stuff you just need to say no to. You just need to say no. Sin is that which you need to reject on a regular basis. You need to learn how to say no to sin and yes to God. And this is a man who had, who had some, some real consequences to his saying no. First of all, he was a Jewish young boy brought up in the house of Egypt. In fact, in the house of Pharaoh. There was an edict in the land where the, the Israelites were growing too numerous. And Pharaoh said, we have to do something about this. So his version of population control was to kill all the male boys that were born. And he gave that that word to the uh, midwives who were Egyptian and as soon as they helped the the Hebrew wives get birth they were supposed to call the authorities and the authorities would come and if it was a boy they would kill the boy horrible just horrible kind of like abortion today horrible amen, mm. amen. <clears throat> well Jochebed who was Moses' mother decided this is not good as any mother would and she Hit her son for three months until she couldn't hide him any longer. And she made a little ark, a little basket, and put t- pitch all around it, tar, and then put the baby in there and just trusted, tr- trusted God. Lord, care for my child. Put the baby in the Nile River, and the baby floated away. He wound up floating right toward the palace of Pharaoh, at which Pharaoh's daughter was then bathing. She then pulls the baby from the basket. And pulls it from the Nile, obviously. And that's where Moses got his name. An Egyptian name, Moses. Moses. Means drawn from water. And then, turns out that Jacobed's daughter, Moses' sister Miriam, was watching the entire thing. She saw Pharaoh's daughter pull Moses from the, from the water and say, what a beautiful child. And his, his sister runs up and says, do you need any help? She says, yeah, I can't nurse the child. I have somebody goes, gets her own mama. And now her mama is paid to nurse her own baby. Man, there's so much in there. I don't have time. It's good yes. stuff. Good stuff. God does stuff. But Moses grew up in Pharaoh's house. He was, he was Israelite down here. But he was Egyptian in here. He learned Egyptian. He learned the ways of the Egyptians. The philosophy of the Egyptians. His mind was Egyptian. But there was something on the inside that did not agree with his mind. His soul, his makeup, his DNA was Jewish. And one day he came to the realization, I am not this. And when you get born again, at some point you need to come to the realization, I am not a part of this world. I'm just not. I refuse to agree with the mindset that is in this world. I'm not going to to just go along with the flow. Let me give you a couple examples of strange mindsets that have crept into the church. It is almost a foreign idea that you would actually not sleep with your fiancé or girlfriend before you marry her. I talked... I, don't, I didn't get a big amen. I'm not quite sure what that... <laughs> only, it only serves to amplify my
1: point. I talk to folks. Say, I got a girl. Yeah, my girl's coming to be here this weekend with me. Uh, Where is she staying? Uh,
0: My place. Not even thinking something was wrong. Looking at me like, where else would she stay? (laughs) And I very nicely... Begin to flip through the scriptures about how immorality is wrong and that you are disrespecting this dear young woman who happens to be a child of God, a daughter of the king, by sleeping with her without her, without her having a ring on her finger. Something is very, very wrong with your manhood. Something's wrong. Something's wrong with your expectations. It is almost commonplace for everybody to feel like you've got to live with this person before you know who you're marrying. It doesn't help. doesn't help. Now, I'm not going to ask any of you men to say amen to that, but I'm just letting you know it doesn't help. You
1: still marry somebody you don't know because everybody's still putting their best foot forward until there is a commitment, until there is an uh, uh, uh-uh-uh on the finger. Until there's somebody singing that song. Somebody's still putting the best foot forward because they don't want to ruin a possibility. And you don't know who you have married until you say I do. And even then, you don't know. They change. Men change, women change. You have to always call audibles in marriage because you don't know what day it is. (laughs) You think the plan is going, the plan changed. I better stop. I'm gonna get in trouble. But people look at me with incred- incredulity. You're kidding. I, you you should. Really?
0: That's what it takes to be a consistent Christian? Well, that's just one of the things. There are many more. Let me share with you. The mindset of the world has crept into the church. That it's okay for people to, to, to understand. Well, humanity. I'm, I'm just human. I'm not perfect. I'm not a preacher. You know, God understands our weaknesses and some stuff I just give in to. And, you know, I wish I could do better. No, 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 no. Why in the world are we settling for less? Well, I just don't. I, I, I mean, I get it because I used to be there. But now that I'm on this side, I don't understand why Christians settle for less. And for the most part, consider a victory a tie See, when you just don't sin, you think you've done something. Okay, Lord, I moved her out. Okay, okay. Hallelujah. I'm not going to... Okay, I didn't sleep with her last night. Woo! Okay, I'm in it now. I'm in it. I'm in it. Okay. I didn't go clubbing last night. That was tough. I stayed in my hotel room. I didn't turn on the TV and watch that stuff. Jesus, whoa, victory. No, that's a tie. The kingdom was not advanced. The devil did not win. That's a tie. A victory is when you actually have produced something, that you have more character. You're more like Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is growing in your life, love, joy, peace. You're advancing the cause of the gospel in people who are in your sphere of relationships. You're actually presenting messages of truth and integrity in the workplace so folk don't cheat and don't steal. You are advancing the kingdom every place you go. That's victory. That's victory. It doesn't sound good, but it preaches well. <laughs> only, only losers are happy with ties. If you know you're going to lose, then you're really happy you didn't. People who, who believe they're going to win can't stand ties. They aren't satisfied with a tie. They want a victory. But we Christians are happy with ties because we feel like, well, I'm only human. At least I didn't blow it. You get no reward in heaven for not blowing it. None. You get rewards in heaven for doing stuff right, not for not doing stuff wrong. The reward for not doing stuff wrong is no consequence. That's your reward. You don't get any judgment. You don't sleep with her, you don't have any child support payments.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That was a guy... A friend of mine came to me the other day and was saying, you know, I was ministering to a guy at a store I visit frequently quite a bit. and I was praying with him, and,
0: and he, he said, he said, Pastor, I'm not happy with God.
1: He said, why?
0: Well, he didn't come through for me.
1: <laughs> really? Well, what, what happened?
0: He said, well, he didn't answer my prayer.
1: <laughs> well, what prayer did you pray?
0: He said, well, you know. The pastor said, no, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I don't know. He said, yeah, you, you know, you know. He said, I'm, so, I'm sorry, I don't know. Well, she's pregnant. Oh, you were praying that she wasn't pregnant. He said, yeah. He said, I can't tell you how many things are wrong with this whole idea. <laughs> I don't even know where to start properly yet. But let's just say you shouldn't have even needed to pray the prayer. Enough on that. Some stuff you just need to refuse. Moses said, I'm not going to take the mindset. I'm not going to take the prominence. He was a prince. I don't know what came with his job description, but a lot of stuff. Fringe benefits. Unusually great. Massive prince of the most powerful nation in the Middle East. Wow! He could have anything at his fingertips he wanted. And he
1: said, I refuse.
0: He left his inheritance, his inheritance, pretty big. Now, most of us, just being middle-class Americans, we don't have much of an inheritance to leave. If we were to have to depart from that which we wanted so badly to do something for God, I don't know that mo- many of us would, would leave a whole lot. But Moses, Moses left a throne. We don't know what place he would have been in line for the, for the throne of, of Egypt, but someplace in there. The possibility of at least being second or third in command was really big. Wow, he left all of that, all of his
1: inheritance.
0: I didn't have much one, but my daddy wanted me to be a dentist, and he was a dentist. And I was accepted to Meharry Medical School in Nashville, Tennessee, and I was supposed to go in, uh, be admitted in, in the fall of 1982. And God called me to preach the gospel, and I had to make a decision, either come to Howard University and help start the church I now pastor in 1982, or go to Meharry Medical College and become a dentist. In July, I had to resign my seat and tell my father I don't want to go. Now, this was not only difficult for my father in terms of not having his son follow in his footsteps and thereby take over his practice, provide for him, meaning my dad, me provide for my dad in his retirement, and me, (laughs) wow, not having any overhead and making $90,000 in 1986 when I graduated. That's sweet. 1985. That's sweet. I, I, now, that may not be big for you, but that was big for me. On top of that, he said, when you graduate from Meharry, I will give you a Corvette. That was the seal right there. <laughs> all that other stuff, the car, baby, the car. I said, Dad, I, I just can't do it. Now, all the people who ran Meharry, my dad went there and graduated in 55 or something. All the people who ran Meharry were his friends. And he did what he could to help me get in, even though I didn't really need it. But he said, listen, my boy's coming. And all those guys cared for their boys who wanted to follow in their footsteps. And this was the only boy who said no. There was a lot riding on the line relationally and and economically and every... I said, Dad, God's called me to preach the gospel. I just... I can't. I just can't. He said, why can't you do both? Can't you minister the gospel? and You you had a captive audience right there in the chair when you did (laughs) it. I said, no, Dad, I, that's not the way. I, I, woe is me if I don't do this. For five years, we barely talked about anything, just sports. He was so angry with me, did everything but disown me. It wasn't good. Now, for me to reject my inheritance may not seem like a big deal to you, but it was huge to me. It was a man who who called out to jesus and jesus had a conversation to as The bandwagon was building for Christ's ministry and it was in luke chapter nine jesus said follow me he said "I, i i want to but let me first go go bury my father and then i'll follow you now that seems to be a very harsh statement for jesus the compassionate pastor to make to a man whose father had just passed but he wasn't saying it in terms of knowing that his dad had passed right then because he realized what the man was really saying the man Articulated a Hebrew colloquialism, which is, let me go bury my father. It meant this let me get my inheritance first. That'll be gone in about five, ten years. I'll get my inheritance. Let me bury him, and then I'll follow you. This is why Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. You come and follow me. Five years of no conversation. Nine years complete, four years later, my dad has some difficulty in his health. He comes to live with me. I'm now becoming the senior pastor of this congregation. I baptize him in my tub, in my house. He gets right with God, becomes the strongest member of my church, and my ministry, which he hated, now supported him in his latter years. He not only was provided for, Materially, like he wanted to be when I was going to be a a dentist. Maybe not to the level, but at least he was provided for. But he was provided for spiritually. You don't know what you're saying yes to when you say no to something. You have no idea. The affirmations might be be time-consuming, might be far-and-coming, but they're on the way. The fruit of your decision is on the way. Moses said, I reject my inheritance. And he decided... To identify with the people of God. Secondly, he left. Now, we think that this passage is redemptive in its order, not chronological. And that this, this next part here, it says, he did not fear the wrath of the king. Uh, relates more to the people of Israel leaving Egypt than it does Moses' first departure from Egypt when he, when he tried to deliver Israel all by himself by killing an Egyptian who was beating up a a Hebrew slave. Um, Because then he did fear the wrath of the king. That's why he ran. And he ran and spent 40 years out of the wilderness. So it can't be talking about that passage. It's probably talking about when he delivered the people from the land of Egypt and out into the wilderness. If that's the case, then it doesn't fit chronologically because he actually did the Passover before he delivered the people. Yet the Passover comes second in this passage behind leaving Egypt. So we think this is probably speaking in the order in which people come out of the world and enter into the covenant rather than a chronological order, meaning it's redemptive more than chronological. Go back and listen to the CD if you don't know what I just said. <laughs> it says he left, and there's some things you just have to leave. It's not about saying no. God said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, come out from the midst of them and be separate. Touch not the unclean thing and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me. There is a leaving you need to do, a leaving of behavior, a leaving of the world system, not the world. You can't leave the world. Don't try to check out. You just leave the world system. But you still are a part of the world. We don't want you to leave your friends. Don't do that. Well, well, Pastor, can I I still go to the club? Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the club. I said, I, I, I think Jesus would, would have been in the club. Yeah, it says he hung around with tax gatherers and sinners and all the people that the religious folk thought were the worst of the worst in terms of morality and conduct. Jesus hung around those people. And he was accused of doing so in that the people who didn't like him were trying to, to label him as being one of them, yet he thought it was a badge of honor. He said, absolutely, because the sick need the doctor, not the well. So I need to make house calls. So let's talk about going to the club. If you want to go to the club, go to the club like Jesus. Do that. Go to the club. Enjoy yourself. Take your Bible with you. (laughs) Sit down and go through some scriptures with people. Pray for folks.
1: Go to the club. Yes.
0: Now, that's probably the last time you will be asked to go to the club. Our influence ought to change the environment. It ought to change people's lives. We love people by not separating ourselves from them and saying, I love God so much, I can't be with you. We love people by attaching ourselves to them but not doing what they do. Being a light to say, I've overcome that. I don't do that anymore. I used to be in bondage to that. God set me free. Moses left. He got out. He said, I'm not a part of Egypt anymore. And God wants us to leave some stuff behind. thirdly he wants us to keep some things Deuteronomy 10:20 says obey the law and cling to the lord cling to the lord verse 24 chapter 13 in Deuteronomy says the same thing as Joshua is giving some of his farewell statements he says cling to the lord there's something we ought to hold on to in our departure from the world And make sure that redemption doesn't just apply to heaven for us. We aren't satisfied when we understand that we've got a ticket punched to glory. That we really want the redemptive benefit that has been afforded us to make a a difference here. That we change our reality here. And we help change other people's reality. Our faith ought to be that which affects everything around us. And listen, Moses did all this. The writer of Hebrews is trying to contextualize it in faith because he did everything by faith. It never feels right. It never feels good to, to stop something that used to feel good, the passing pleasures of sin. They brought you temporary benefit. The consequence was always more more injurious than the the, the deed was pleasurable. No question about that. But sometime after the consequence was over,
1: you went right back into it because all you remembered was, and the enemy helped you with this, all you remembered was how fun it was, how enjoyable it was when you were in the thing. And when we, when we leave, we must keep something that reminds us that there, it is worth it to do the right thing on a regular basis, that I'm not doing this simply because I've got a word that says don't. I'm doing it because I love my God who gave himself for me. I want to act right because he has been good to me and sacrificed his very life for my benefit. I want to love him like that. It's not about do's and don'ts, though. If you have to resort to a last ditch effort of doing do's and don'ts, make sure you don't do the don'ts and do the do's. But it ought to be much more than that. You love him, and all you want to do is bring a smile to his face every day of your life. You got to keep some stuff.
0: Peter said in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, as the people we're, were trying to figure out, what this new life would look like in the church was being birthed. He said, in response to the people saying, is there anything we can do to get right with God? How mad is he at us for killing his son? He said, yeah, there's something you can do. Repent. And let each of you be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, verse 39, is for you and your children and all who are far off. As many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. What? What an answer to people who were despondent, thinking we have blown it for all eternity. Everybody had waited for the Messiah. He came to our generation. Not only were we blessed to have him, but we didn't acknowledge him, and we killed him. He was Lord and God. How mad is God at us? And he says, Peter says, this is your solution. Repent. I imagine they were looking for... Is he going to squash us like bugs? What is the consequence for our disobedience? Do we have to sell all we possess and become missionaries to India? What do we need to do just to make this right? Peter says, repent. Just change your mind. And then get baptized and then receive a gift. Who is this God? I mean, he's not only letting me off, but he's giving me a gift after I killed his boy. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Who is? Do you know how long the line was to save me first? They realized what they had done. And all they wanted to do is get right and serve him. It wasn't about do's and don'ts. It was about, I'm sorry. I'm sorry what I've done. My sin has crucified the Son of God. I want to fix that if I can. I repent, I repent, I repent. I can't repent fast enough. And then Peter says this. The promise is for you, your children, everybody who is afar off. As many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. And lastly, he says, and be saved. And with many other words, he exhorted them. Be saved from this wicked and perverse generation. Not be saved to heaven, not be saved from hell. Those Those are wonderful benefits. But they are fringe to being saved from this wicked and perverse generation. God wants you to keep some things here. You ought to keep this word down in your heart. It says that Moses kept the Passover and realized that the redemptive benefit that was provided by applying blood to the lintels of the doorposts, this was the last plague in Egypt. A plague of death was to come and every firstborn in every household was to die. The only only way the Israelites could get past that was if they, they, they sacrificed a lamb that was perfect, no blemish. Do you see the superimposition here? The overlay, Jesus was perfect, no blemish. The sacrifice of a lamb and put that blood of that lamb on its doorposts of the house. And everybody on the inside would be safe, especially the firstborn. And that why, this is why when the, when the plague of death passed by the house, it was called the Feast of Passover. And it says that Moses kept that. Do you keep your salvation experience when you're out with your friends? Do you keep your salvation experience when you're with your girlfriend, your boyfriend? Do you keep it or do you lose it? Does something happen to you whereby immorality and the sensuality and the temptation just gets so great? You lose every benefit that Jesus gave you for a moment. And it's no longer about you being saved from this wicked and perverse generation. You're just satisfied you're going to heaven. There ought to be some kind of witness that you give to everybody around you, including those who are most close to you about what it means to walk right. And gentlemen, you want to be men? Stop sleeping around. Treat that woman right. Love her like God loves her. And do what the Bible says with respect to purity. And keep her chaste. Maybe that ship has already sailed for you. I got it. There's never a bad time to make a good decision. Start today afresh. Keep that woman chaste. Love her like that. And produce some confidence on the inside of her soul... That lets her know, boy, if he had an opportunity to get it now and didn't, if when and if he does say I do, I know he'll stay faithful to me, because he could have done it then. You want to build some things in your life, and here's a great opportunity rather than taking. Keep some stuff. He kept the Passover. And then lastly, he became they. Now, that's interesting. Moses refused, he refused. He left Egypt. He kept the Passover. And then they passed through the Red Sea on dry ground. And then the Egyptians tried to come in. If you live like this by refusing everything that the world has to offer you, if you leave the world system and do not consider yourself a part of it anymore, if you will keep God in every circumstance of your life, holding to integrity and uprightness, loving him, obeying him to the uttermost, not just trying to be a minimalist Christian, But doing what you can to bring a smile to his face every day, you do those three things, you can't help but becoming plural. You will have a crowd following you. He became they. Doesn't say Moses crossed the Red Sea. All those people said, I don't know anybody like you. God does stuff for you. You are amazing.
1: I will follow you, dude. Take me with you out of bondage. And there are people you need to lead out of bondage. All this happens, not because it feels right, not because somehow, oh, I, 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 just, I just sense that, that the Lord wants me to move in this direction. It happens by faith, even when you don't even feel like it's the right thing to do. I realize that the joys and passing pleasures of sin might seem really good at the moment, but that's the exact time when you need to say no. Doesn't feel right. You just do it by faith.
0: You love him so much. All these things Moses did by faith. Not knowing what the outcome would be. But he did it because he wanted to obey God. And as a result, he became they. You ought to not stay singular. How is your faith impacting the people around you? Are you growing? Not just personally. Are you growing to become plural? Are you impacting anybody beyond your immediate family? Do you have a a small group that you can gather with that that (laughs) used to not know Jesus, and because you have been benefited by our October 26th seminar on how to share the gospel with somebody, (laughs) you now have led them to Christ. See, that was pretty good, wasn't it? I I liked how I did that. (laughs) It It is absolutely critical that you become plural, that they go into the Red Sea and come out on the other side, and you get the privilege of seeing other people Watch their enemies be vanquished. Victory be theirs. And when you appear before God, you don't appear empty-handed. You're grabbing the hands of all the people you've helped lead to Christ, those that you've impacted. And it's not just you. It's us who appear. As we go through this series on faith, may God expand your mind into how your faith can impact your world now and how it can impact other people's world. And you get larger and bigger on the inside. Can you say amen?